listening to a Drishti Point podcast. Please visit our website for more inspiring interviews on yoga, spirituality, and wellness. So welcome, Sarah. It's great to have you on Drishti Point. Sarah, I know that you co-founded with your husband, Ty, the Insight Yoga Institute, and uh, we're really looking forward to having you share more about Insight Yoga and the teachings that you offer there. Mm, thank you. Thank you for calling. I thought I would start off by asking you if you could um, explain for our listeners who are from most of whom are familiar with yoga and probably familiar with different styles or types of yoga like yin yoga like anusara like kundalini but i'm wondering if you could explain what specifically distinguishes and differentiates insight yoga mm-hmm, sure the bringing together of these two words insight and yoga was a way to inform you know, potential uh, enthusiasts that uh, we would be joining together the insights and practices of both the yoga disciplines from India and China as well as the Buddhist practices. Since it is a common usage in the Buddha Dharma for practices that really stimulate some kind of penetrating perception, if you will, about one's experience and reality at large. So at Insight Yoga Institute, we offer retreats and residential intensives that bring together teachers who are interested in the bridge, not only between yoga and Buddhism, but practices that align people with the body, heart, and mind. And we have psychologists who uh, have a breadth of understanding in not only the Western psychodynamic modalities, mainly in transpersonal psychology, but also who are long-time, you know, 30, 40-year practitioners of the awareness disciplines of Buddhism. And then we have variety of yoga teachers like myself, Paul Creeley, uh, Chandra Easton, and Scott Blossom, people who are creating, I think, a bridge between these disciplines where it's not so much um, about what distinguishes us from other styles, but what in our practice brings together a sense of integrity and wholeness and brings us home to ourselves as a daily practice. There's also some Buddhist teachers who also use the body as a jump-off point for self-exploration. So we, in each intensive, have these perspectives, you know, ways of developing practices that aren't so separate from each other, but are just different vantage points to explore being present through. So my own practice was really the the genesis of this institute. When I was teaching teacher trainings, like many yoga teachers, for a long time, and 
was often asked afterwards, you know, what now? How can I deepen what I've learned from you in terms of particulars? And I thought, let me bring together a number of influences that helped me offer what I share as a style, which is really, in a way, unique, as we all are. I don't really think there's a Iyengar style. There's Mr. Iyengar, who <laughs> was so creative and brilliant, and then everyone who came after is interpreting and adapting. And so, in a way, Insight Yoga is an open exploration of teachers now. We just have a, our, the ending of our first two-year cycle, and we begin the next in 2012. And I would say that the teachers are probably as varied as their personalities, but what they all share is the interest in practicing and then sharing the practice as teachers with others, practices that address being grateful and appropriate in the body and practices that really help us meet the different reactivities and obstacles that arise psychologically as well as disciplines of mind training and those can be tethered together in a variety of ways but in each practice there would be that braiding together of these disciplines that address those body and mind, but also the bridge between them, the, the heart. So um, I'd like to um, understand a little bit better. You mentioned that your students would ask, what now? Um, what exactly, what exactly um, did that question mean? Mm. My interpretation of other people's query was really how how do I go deeper than simply teaching the foundation of how to have a physical practice, how to cultivate some understanding of the subtle body, and how to sit with some sense of uh, you know, attentional focus in meditation. So if those are kind of the basic ingredients that we learn as healthy yoga teachers, I think the what now question was, now how do I actually have experiential insight through which then I could start to take baby steps in the foots of the masters? You know, how does one begin to be self-generative in their understanding of the dimensions of consciousness within? And for me, that has been terrain best excavated on retreat and with this multiplicity of disciplines and being an, maybe an integrator personality where I like to distill from the wisdom traditions what is common among them, I thought this is going to need a different context than just a classic yoga teacher training. One will need to really have certainly longer sessions, so having all day and day after day where they're not so distracted with the responsibilities of personal and practical affairs, so retreat is best for that. And so we created a format that's mostly 10-day retreats, and for example, the first five days in this March will be 
three-hour classes with me where we are going through a myriad of practices, the yin style as well as um, strong, active asana, and then pranayama, breath enhancement disciplines, both in asana as well as a seated practice, and then developing loving kindness and compassion as well as vipassana and shamatha. So my practice really is what I feel um, a vehicle for transformation. But I don't unpack all about the Dharma, so these wonderful Buddhist teachers will also be on the retreat. So in the afternoons, Tinisara and Kitasaro, who are Theravadan teachers, will be there to unpack more specifically about Four Noble Truths and the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, and then lead longer sitting practices. And after five days, another teacher will join Thai and myself. My husband teaches the Shamatan Vipassana practices of the Buddha Dharma also. And this is the teacher who is the psycho-spiritual practitioner named Jennifer Wellwood. And so in the afternoons, the second five days, people will be exploring different aspects of mm, personal issues, uh, some family of origin issues that prevent us from really being able to meet uh, subtleties within us, the sense of protectedness and defensiveness that can create constructs about who we think we are. She is very skillful in creating meditations and dyads in which we really in a safe holding environment begin to crack open some of the wounding of the past and take that journey into healing that you might do in a one-on-one session in psychotherapy but this is within a spiritual practitioner's context so you would move from that work right into meditation and pranayama so there'd be a real sense of this whole 10 days addressing all aspects of how we view ourselves and view the world. So it sounds like for people who are grounded in their yoga yoga and meditation practice, these retreats are an opportunity to have the time to go a little deeper into the psyche and deeper into the practice and be in an environment that is supported and that can uh, give us the wisdom, the teachings, and the ways that we can go deeper. Definitely. And and with community, there's a way that some of the the interpersonal wounding that occurred in relationship to others has an opportunity to heal because not only are we feeling vulnerable whenever we you know, unpack this personal material, but to be with others who are mutually supporting us and at the same time, you know, beginning to trust ourselves enough to allow others to potentially misunderstand us, which, of course, people will continue to do throughout our lives. So to practice being in community as we develop not only the privacy of the yoga and meditation practices, which, of course, on any silent retreat, those are wonderfully enhanced, 
but to also have the opportunity to have interpersonal practices in the field of a retreat where you're not silent, where you are sharing what's coming up for you, where you are revealing what we usually might attempt not to feel, or certainly even if we're feeling it, not to necessarily show. Mm -hmm. I think that creates a level of strength and inner fortitude that lasts long beyond retreats and starts to bleed into our relationships at home and and certainly for yoga teachers, our ability to feel authentic and relaxed in front of other people in a way that I think helps other people then relax and feel authentic in our field. And so I think there's this reciprocity that lingers and that keeps allowing us to want to find settings in which we can just keep you know, peeling away whatever is in the way of being relaxed and open. And I think that's one of the the main highlights for me is seeing people come in at the beginning of the program or at the beginning even of a retreat. And certainly the enthusiasm and the willingness is evident, but then to see them slowly kind of graduate into levels of themselves that are such a a joy and a thrill to interact with, to really see people just becoming beautiful from within, you know, relaxing into their bodies in a way that starts to radiate out, relaxing into a sense of mm, being more gathered inside rather than so oriented towards fear of others. I, I can... Right now, think of a few people in the program, especially, who feel like totally different people than who I met a few years ago. It's the level of not not only functionality, but intimacy with others is, is beautiful to be part of. And as this radiates out, I feel like, um, you know, we, we have a direct impact on our communities and and the way that that spreads out in all the diverse experiences that we all go out into. So it's a very uh, strong community-oriented program. Mm-hmm. Bonding going on <laughs> in everybody who's participating, which is, it was in a way, it was unforeseen. I mean, I expected it, but it's been a, a almost like another teacher. It's like the background of every retreat is the way that the community starts to form and and, uh, support and teach each other through the willingness to continually unfold and be real and raw with each other. That's um, a beautiful way to um, actualize the insights that make arise during an individual practice of meditation and yoga in... Good way of putting it. I like that. Yeah. So that's um, very, very beautiful. It's um, been really lovely to hear um, your articulation and expression of two two traditions um, and the 
the way that you're bringing them together and merging them, and those are the traditions of yoga and Buddhism. Mm, thank you. Um, I'm, you know, I'm wondering, um, it's so interesting to see the, the bridges between these two traditions, to see, um, for example, Tibetan heart yoga emerge as a uh, yoga that combines dharma into a yoga practice or insight yoga that integrates dharma and yoga and two traditions in that way. Um, What do you think... um, these traditions um, share in common at the very root, at the very essence of them? Hmm. Uh, I think the very distilled or nucleus of both traditions is an interest in revealing, making evident, making explicit that which is already within us, which is our natural radiance and inexhaustible creativity. And so to be able to taproot the potential of the human spirit and and have that existing in the kind of relative or worldly sense, I think both the yogic and Buddhist traditions really invite us to to taste this fully, to know ourselves at the deepest level for both move us towards realizing the self or self-realization. And that word self certainly has different connotations in yoga versus Buddhism. But I think in, in some sense it comes down to semantics when there's dissonance between the traditions because at their essence, I think the non-dual view exists quite brilliantly in both the view that we are not separate from our experience and that we're not separate from each other, that um, there is no uh, separation in the ultimate sense, but there's distinction in the worldly sense. And to celebrate that diversity and yet still be taprooted into the unity, uh, that's a view that's, um, I think, worth devoting one's life to. Now, you've been uh, teaching for many, many years, and um, I'm wondering what you, um, what you see in the potential for the yoga movement and yoga community in North America. Um, this unfolding of popularity is almost two-tiered, you know, on the one hand, I think there will be continual superficiality to the depth teachings only because they came into North America through the fitness communities. And, you know, we see in some sense it's being tethered to Pilates or spinning or other physical modalities as as a definition, like if someone says, I do yoga, they, they mean this is my physical orientation to health, which it does have that feature. And so I, I think that that's going to be rooted into our culture now, and that's great. 
because it's less aerobically in, uh, dangerous than you know high impact aerobics that was so popular maybe a decade ago. But the the teachings that are flourishing in the wisdom tradition of yoga are not as um, uh, understood or uh, really applicable to the settings in which yoga is usually taught. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I think it, it requires a different motivation to come to the practice, to really want to find inroads into all the ways one is constricted or blocked from really being able to listen, being able to see clearly, being able to meet adversity, or even be able to be with felicity and not be in a contracted, grasping manner with life. So it almost requires, in, in terms of the yoga world, it would require some practitioners to really deepen their inquiry and their questioning of, okay, this is great that we can flow through some sequences or that we're healthier in our bodies, but in terms of the psychological dimension that yoga really offers, it's, it's I think, always going to be a, a smaller population that, you know, as I say that, it's, it's saddening that more people aren't really seeing yoga as as a path of self-transformation, that it really only is cordoned off as their exercise regime for a half hour or you know an hour a day. So what the beautiful thing about its popularity is there are more people being exposed to that surface level that eventually may inquire further and then we'll need to seek out, like I did, I had to seek out the Buddhist to really, okay, now I really want to sit for grotesque amounts of time <laughs> to really see all of my patterns and not just move away from them because I'm already good at moving. <laughs> you know, and so I, I do think like the Himalayan Institute and the East Coast and Kripalu and Anasara and... Uh, you know, many, many wonderful yoga teachers who have been teaching a long time who have depth practices. What we teach in studios and when we travel around is often adjusted to support the people's interests who are coming. But hopefully there's a hint in our voices or in our discussions, in our dialogues, that there is more to deepen into, and that would require from practitioners a deeper level of commitment. So going on retreats that aren't just yoga vacations, but going really into places where, you know, the walls come down and one is fully exposed. And of course, (laughs) Buddhists do that. (laughs) So that's why I stepped off the grid of only doing yoga. And then when I came off my first retreat, I realized, wow, this this is not to be abandoned, the yoga world, the yoga features, the the exploration through the body. This is to be just a widened inclusiveness. And there weren't a lot of retreats where they were given, you know, equal 
interest. Mm-hmm. So we just started creating them, not that we were the only ones, but there just weren't a lot out there. Mm-hmm. But I don't think in the times when these were flourishing in India, they were so separate. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, they've become you know, different strands of a whole practice. Mm-hmm. And it's great that maybe our generations, or these next generations, will tether them back together. And maybe like, you know, the culture of Tibet that took on a, a whole world view that then infiltrated every household, that maybe in North America, yoga 50 years from now will be not only just a physical practice, my hope is that just as now we know it's important to take care of the body and how we breathe and how we treat each other in order to have you know, a fulfilling life, that we will also know that it's required of us that we take care of this you know, very mercurial mind and learn how it, how it functions, how it dysfunctions, and really brighten it to, to ways of operating that are mm, unavailable without um, particular practices. Mm-hmm. So in this way, yoga and meditation, or for me, it's, you know, meditation is such a broad word, so I often will say yoga and meditation is taught through the Buddha Dharma because Vipassana is a unique feature. You know, shamatha practices of stability and concentration are in the yoga world, but mm-hmm. Vipassana was a very revolutionary format that the Buddha promoted in his ancient times. And I think it's so relevant to modern times to to have an inroad to exploration that is uh, not turning away from experience but actually using experience as it arises as a vehicle for deeper understanding that this this can really change people's lives and I know it has mine and those closest to me so I'm so hopeful and um, enthusiastic that the yoga community will start more and more to kind of widen the mandala and take care of the body as beautifully as they are, reduce some of the striving and some of the overemphasis on the ways that the aesthetic piece can become uh, the most demanding part, you know, how it looks and go more into the contemplative practices and spend more time really um, developing inroads to stillness and inquiry. Mm-hmm. And in the last um, five years, I would say, maybe eight, ten years, I am definitely surprised at how this is occurring globally, you know, that there's more and more people interested in mindfulness interested in slowing down their yoga practice and of course which is why the yin practice is so much more popular than it was you know 25 years ago when I learned it from Paul Grilly it it really wasn't that uh, strong in terms of people's interest Mm -hmm. and now of course 
we're both quite busy. <laughs> <laughs> and many other people, like Bernie and others, who are really um, bringing the the body-based practitioner into domains of stillness and in showing others how it's not as you know uh, overwhelming or uh, hard as it might seem. I thought it was um, <clears throat> really uh, beautifully expressed um, when you said it may be the case that the this generation of teachers may weave together um, the traditions that were originally one or that were originally whole that way. Um, yes. The cross-pollination mm-hmm. that is only a modern concept, you know, it's really in the roots of the practices, there there was this, you know, body-mind um, descendants and ascendants. The two directions are mm-hmm. essential. Mm-hmm. Let's take... But I'm, I'm interested also in the triune method, which is the yogic disciplines, the Buddhist disciplines, and uh, psycho-spiritual practices that also really bring our own kind of Western insights, the Jungian and psychosynthesis of the Sagioli and positive psychology, all of this material that's come out of, you know, dysfunctional uh, families (laughs) (laughs) the last hundred years. (laughs) It's really now relevant in cultures not only of the West, but of the Eastern cultures as well suffer from the same sense of feeling kind of, uh, empathically abandoned in circumstances uh, within family and culture. So, and, and, I do think, go ahead. and and it seems also um, a way of translating some of the wisdom in a way that is very relevant and and yes. uh, graspable, um, very digestible. I had a woman recently, as I was speaking about meditation, and she said, well, it sounds very much like you're speaking about transpersonal psychology. I said, well, <laughs> I think just as you just mentioned, the languaging really helps us relate mm-hmm. in a very personal way to mm-hmm. what these ancient teachings are pointing towards without making it abstract or esoteric or other than what we can actually grapple with. Mm-hmm. And to, to use transpersonal psychological languaging and yet have a depth practice, not just make it about uh, psychology in terms of something that we read about, talk about, or observe when we're with a trained practitioner. You know, to have all that psychology has to offer in those very intimate domains of one-on-one work and yet kind of wake up the inner psychologist within us and allow us to actually become entrained in how we treat our most immature and unintegrated sub-personalities. Mm-hmm. To make what psychology is giving the modern world is, in a way, another wisdom tradition at its depth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so not to abandon that, saying, well, these are more ancient or these are more sacred. Not at all. I think that 
these wisdoms from spiritual psychology came out of people who are deep excavators of the heart and mind, and these are these people also are meditative. And uh, it, it struck me also that, you know, at the beginning of the interview, you mentioned that people learn in, retre- in retreat to be self-generating. I think that was a word. And uh, it uh, struck me that we may, through a teacher, come into contact with wisdom and teachings and tools, but that when we begin to apply them and use them in our lives, that they develop this self-generating power, that Mm. it becomes the wisdom of us and yeah. and in that way yeah. we we become the teaching and the teacher i suppose when we um give ourselves the commit commit and give ourselves a space to do that yes beautifully said i think this this permission to translate what we're learning into kind of the hieroglyph, you know, of our of our own template and then recognize that our own life is where the integration of these teachings will become evident. And as we start to really witness the changes taking place that aren't just a shift from A to B, but which is, you know, simply like changing moving your house from one city to another, but I'm talking about the change that is truly transformational, where you no longer feel so compelled to operate in the same, let's say, addictive way towards some issue or some aspect of your life, when you're really able to meet dissonances and not turn away. The way that each of us then relates to our personal material is very creative and unique. And so then we do have almost the responsibility to trust that we're not trying to model ourselves up to other people, but we do want other people to show that change is possible and teach us how to take those steps. But then it's going to come out in a myriad of different ways in all of us. And in that way, I think that's the celebration of diversity. Mm-hmm. No to teachers who studied with the same master will will offer the teachings in the same way. And I think in a way that's also a feminine principle rather than thinking that to preserve the teachings we have to have some model that is the same mm-hmm. so that nothing staining the initial insight. Well, I think that that's ludicrous in terms of any living spiritual modality it's got in in order for it to be alive it has to be able to move and adapt and integrate and shift and become more and more inclusive and i that that kind of mother matrix of being able to maintain the the sense of reality at the center. So let's say we're talking about an insight into the nature of the mind as being much more open rather than um, 
height than it seems in the personality self. For us mm-hmm. to actually break through and see that my open nature is similar to yours, but the way I get tight is different than the way you do because of our different histories and the way we've learned to protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. But as we tap into the universal way that we're both open at the nature of mind, we'll have this almost this dialogue with experience in which we test different ways to spontaneously relate from that openness. And in that way, there's there's no need to create this, for example, this insight yoga system of how you're supposed to be when you're open. (laughs) You know, that would be a total paradox to what the word is implying, Mm -hmm. which is this freedom to flow and to create. And in that way, there's, it's, it's an open loop system, which is what neuroscientists say that our brains are, Mm -hmm. you know, and so to dance with the mystery of life rather than create a new religion. And in yoga, there's a lot of different systems that are like their own religious doctrines now Mm -hmm. that I think cut us off from what we were intending in the first place. Mm -hmm. So anything that kind of smells or really reeks of orthodoxy in terms of trying to close the system, I think, um, should be suspect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's been um, really lovely to um, engage in dialogue and conversation with you and um, really listen to all of the unique ways that um, your... um, evolving the yoga and Buddhist tradition in our world and, uh, and weaving together the, the transpersonal psychology and teachings of Buddhism and teachings of yoga. It's uh, very, very inspiring. Thank you for listening to Drishti Point. We dedicate our efforts to the health and happiness of our listeners and for the health and happiness of all living beings.